everybody and welcome. We're back with another edition of Awesome Irish Women from the Past. And here with me today to tell their stories are three very impressive ladies. Give a warm hand to Nano Nagel. To Anna Parnell. And to Mother Jones. Thanks for joining us today, ladies. We've plucked you from history and brought you together because our program today is all about... Leaders! And you are each and every one of you a leading lady. We would just love to know a bit more. Nano Nagel, why don't you go first? Tell us your story. My name is Hanora Nagel, but everyone calls me Nano. I was born in Ballygriffin, County Cork, in the year 1718. Sadly for us, it was a very difficult time to be a Catholic. We were suffering under the penal laws, a set of rules which meant that Catholics couldn't enjoy the same freedoms as Protestants. We couldn't buy land, vote or practice law. And Catholics couldn't even be educated in their own schools. So, my parents decided to secretly send me and my sister Anne away to be educated. It was against the law for Catholics to travel abroad for education, but my parents took the risk. They hoped that someday the penal laws in Ireland would end. In the meantime, my sister Anne and I went to Paris. While we missed our family, we did have a wonderful time. There were many Irish immigrants there and we lived in luxury. But one evening... Something happened that would have a huge effect on me. Anne and I were coming home from a ball in the early hours of the morning. The music was beautiful, wasn't it? Can you imagine attending such an event in Cork? The number of people! It was wonderful. I shall write to Father and tell him all about it. Are you sure we're going in the right direction, Nano? This doesn't look at all familiar. Don't worry, we're going the right way. Up ahead is the church, see? Once we reach it, we'll be just a stone's throw from the Cartier Latin. (coughs) Nano, I'm scared. Who are all these people? Why are they here at the church so early? I don't know, Anne. Come on. I'm sure they won't harm us. Ladies, can you spare a piece of silver for my poor children? Of course, madame. Could you please explain to me, why are you all here outside the church? It's locked and I doubt that the priest is yet out of his bed. We wait to hear mass, madame. We have been fasting and afterwards many of us will go to work in the textile factory. I am a weaver myself. It is tough work. And it barely brings in enough money to feed the family. But God willing, we'll get through another winter. Bless you, madame. Some for you. There you go, my love. You're very welcome, of course. Happy to help, of course. I must admit that as I turned away to return to my life of luxury, I felt ashamed. Anne and I went back to our home in the Cartier Latin, but the image of these poor people stayed with me. 
It stayed with me and I believe it changed me. Some years later, I became a nun and returned home to Cork so that I might be able to help others less fortunate than myself. The penal laws were still in place in Ireland, which meant that Catholics could not be educated in their own schools. This time, I would not turn away. This time, I would change things. A hedge school is a secret place of learning, and I myself had attended one when I was a child, as did many Catholic children. I knew that the penalty for setting up such a school was death. But I could not sit by idly while people were being denied an education. So, I set up my own hedge school for girls and before long, we had more pupils than I could manage. I didn't wish to get my family in trouble. So I kept my hedge school a secret from my brother Joseph. I knew he would only worry. Stay where you are, Nano. You look tired. I shall go and see who it is. Nano, this man here... I'm sorry, what did you say your name was? Uh, my name is Seamus O'Sullivan, sir. Yes, well, Seamus here has a question for you. Something about a school? I told him that he was mistaken, that you do not run a school. But he seems adamant that you do. Uh, please excuse the intrusion, sister. It's just my granddaughter... I wish for her to be educated. I thought that you could help. Yes, I can help, Seamus. You live near the church, isn't that right? I'll call over tomorrow and we can discuss your granddaughter's schooling. Thank you, sister. I am most obliged. What on earth is this about, Nano? Are you actually running a school? A hedge school? You know what they do to teachers who educate Catholics, don't you? Brother, do not worry yourself. I'm doing God's work and I'm content. Now, I cannot stay and talk as I have been told by little Eileen that her mother is sick and that she's not been improving after a week's rest. I must go and help them. But it's late and very dark out. You should not wander the streets alone at this hour. It's not safe. I shall bring a lantern and I shall wear my warmest cloak. Don't worry, Joseph. That was the first night that I walked the streets of Cork to tend to the poor and the sick. It would not be the last. From then on, I went out every single night with my lantern. This is how I got my nickname, the Lady with the Lantern. And some years later, I decided to begin my own order of nuns. They're known as the Presentation Sisters and they continued my work of education and tending to the poor. And as their symbol, they have a lantern. Thank you, Nano, for sharing your story with us. Now, I think we're ready for our second guest of the day, Anna Parnell. Please tell us where it all began. My name is Anna Parnell and I was born in the year 1852 at lovely Avondale in County Wicklow. I had ten siblings, including my darling sister Fanny and my eldest brother Charles. You may know him as Charles Stuart Parnell, 
the Irish nationalist politician. His big dream was home rule for Ireland, which would mean that we had our own parliament and could manage our own laws. So he was rather busy with all that while I was growing up. My passion was painting and drawing. And after a while studying in Dublin, I was delighted to be accepted to art school in London. By this stage, Charles had become an MP at Westminster. While I was in London, I began to spend some time watching Charles in the parliamentary debates. This is when all the politicians argue with one another and people can sit in and watch them. And that was when I first knew something was stirring within me. A tiny spark. The feeling that I too might have a part to play. It was not long until the opportunity arose. What are you reading, Anna? Oh, is it the letter from Charles? What does he say? He says that he is well and busy as usual. And he says that he has been elected president of a new organisation, the Land League. They are aiming to help the tenant farmers who cannot pay their rents. Oh, that is a good cause. Hmm. I wonder if... What? Well... Charles says they are in need of staff in the New York office, so... Really, Anna? Are you thinking of going over there? All the way to New York? To work in the office? Well, not exactly. I'm actually thinking we should go all the way to New York to work in the office. (laughs) Anna, you really are something else. Of course, she didn't take much convincing. My sister Fanny was as committed to the nationalist cause as I was. And above all, she was a poet and a dreamer. She too hoped that we might one day live in an Ireland where life was fair for everyone. Before long, we found ourselves in New York, working in a very busy office. You're doing a great job there, Anna. Honestly, Michael, (laughs) it's a wonder you can find anything in here. As the founder of the Land League, you really might consider being a little more organised. Yes, I must work on that. In the meantime, I've had some news. The government at Westminster doesn't like what we're doing. I think they're planning to imprison the leaders of the Land League. No! Surely they can't do that. They can, and they will. But let's not panic. Your sister Fanny had an idea before, uh, that if or when we are imprisoned the work of the Land League could continue in Ireland. How can it continue if you're all in prison? Under your leadership, Anna, you can be in charge of the Ladies' Land League in Ireland. And then, if we are imprisoned, it can take over the work. I'm ready to do whatever it takes, Michael. So that was that. Fanny stayed in America to raise more funds and I opened the office of the Ladies' Land League in Dublin. Michael was right about the government's plans. In 1881, the government banned the Land League and imprisoned its leaders, including my brother Charles. It was time for us, the Ladies' Land League, to take over and we got stuck in straight away. When the Land League's newspaper was banned, we manned the printing press ourselves and continued publishing. There was only one problem. You've done a great job, Nanny. 
But how are we going to get them out? The newspaper has been banned. We can hardly carry them down the street handing them out to people. Yes, I thought of that. And I know a way that we can easily hide copies. Look. My skirt has folds and folds of material. If I wrap a bundle of newspapers in here, no one will know. You could do the same. Nanny, are you actually suggesting that we hide newspapers in our dresses? That we smuggle them out of here in our clothes? Well, yes. It's a brilliant idea. But we'll need all the ladies to do it, everyone. Grab some papers and fold them up in the material. Now, you just need to walk down the street and try to act like... Like like you're not smuggling banned newspapers in your skirts. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not, we managed to smuggle thousands of copies of the Land League newspaper out and into the hands of the public. Of course, at times, some of the ladies were arrested and we had to move the printing press. But still, we continued. Sometimes printing the paper in London, in Liverpool, Glasgow, Manchester and even Paris. We smuggled the newspaper in our skirts, in hat boxes, in barrels of flour. Any way we could think of. It's one of the proudest achievements of the Ladies' Land League. And it was fun. Sadly, the Ladies' Land League did not last for a very long time after this. My brother Charles was released from prison and he decided to shut it down, along with the Land League. He wanted to focus on getting home rule for Ireland. I was disappointed, as I felt we could have achieved more. But I am proud of everything we did. Before women were even allowed to vote, we showed that we could continue the work of the men. And some might say we even did a better job of it. It would be some time until women began to be considered equal, but it was a step in the right direction. Let's hear it for our Ladies' Land League leader, Anna Parnell. Now we're going to move on to our final leading lady. Mother Jones, we'd really like to hear your story. My name is Mary Harris Jones, although most people now know me as Mother Jones. I was born in County Cork in the year 1837, or around about that time. My people were poor. They'd been poor for generations, and me and my brothers and sisters, we were the first in the family to read and write. When I was a child, my father, Richard, came to America for a better life. And as soon as he could, he sent for us to come join him. And that is how I came to make America my home. And in time, I too started a family and got a job working as a teacher in Memphis. Those years were happy until yellow fever swept through Memphis like a dark wave. This place is a ghost town. I can barely bring myself to go outside, as there is always news of some other poor soul perishing of yellow fever. I know, I'm scared for my little ones... 
Did you hear what happened to Mary Harris Jones and her family? All four of the children have died and Mary's husband has also just perished. Poor Mary is devastated. God bless her. That is a terrible, terrible tragedy. I must call in to Mary, pass on my condolences, and tell her I'm praying for their souls. Well, you'll not find her at home. Not at home? Where can she be in this time of grieving? She is out and tending to the other sick people in the neighborhood. Mary is very selfless. She will not rest if she knows there is someone out there that she can help. My Lord, she is a remarkable woman. It was a terrible tragedy. But I, for some unknown reason, had survived. When I had done all I could to help the others, I left that city and those horrors behind to start a new life in Chicago. I began a dressmaking business, and I tried to live as well as I could. Misfortune seemed to follow me, though. And when the great Chicago fire ripped through the city in 1871... My business was one of those that burned down. But I was safe and well, and I knew then, as I knew before, that I must simply start again. It wasn't long before I found what it was that I was meant to do. I'd always understood that workers were very poorly treated in society, toiling away for barely enough money to live on, while the rich just got richer. So, I joined the Knights of Labor, a trade union which fought for better rights for workers. After a while, I even began to give speeches at the meetings to try and inspire people to join us in our movement. It was hard work. But as it turns out, I had a bit of a knack for speeches, and I became quite well known at rallies. And it was at one of those rallies that I had a young visitor. My name is Danny, ma'am. I, I work in the mines down in the valley. Well, it's nice to meet you. And thank you for coming today. Are you interested in workers' rights? I am, ma'am. You see, my big brother, he died down in the mines last winter, and he was only 12 years old. Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss, Danny. Thank you, ma'am. The thing is, I'm going to be 12 next year like my brother was, and I'm afraid that the same thing might happen to me. And so, I was thinking, you're so good at getting people to listen to you. I wondered if you could help me? Us, children, I mean, working children. We need rights, too. You know something? You're absolutely right, Danny. You do need rights. I tell you what, why don't you sit down here with me... And tell me about what it's like working in the mines. Well, we start really early in the morning before the sun. I listened to Danny's story, and I knew that something needed to change. So I began to educate myself about child labor. I spoke to other children who worked in the mines... And later, I even went and got myself a job in a mill so that I could see for myself the truth of what happened to the children who worked there. It was a truth that needed to be told.
want to thank you all for coming. Today I want to speak to you about something that we all need to wake up to. Workers' rights are all well and good, but some workers amongst us don't have a voice right now. And the reason they don't have a voice, because these workers are children. In the mines, I have spoken to the trap boys who open and close the doors for the mules hauling out the coal. Stooping in knee-deep mud with blasts of cold air against them. These children are working up to 14 hours a day to make 60 cents. Keeping their lone watch in the tombs of the earth with never a human soul to speak to them. Do you think that's wrong? Well, are we gonna do something about it? That was a great speech, ma'am. Everyone is so fired up. People being fired up, well, it's something. But it's not enough, Sam. We've got to let everyone know that this is happening. The people, the government. Fact of the matter is that the rich folk just don't care. The government don't care. And we know that President Roosevelt sure doesn't care. Well, you know what I always say, Sam? We should pray for the dead, but fight like hell for the living. These children are the living. They're the future, and we are gonna fight for them. Okay, if you say so. So, tell me, what's the plan this time? Right. We need about a hundred children, child workers from right here in Philadelphia. We're gonna bring them to Washington, right up under the government's nose. They'll have to pay attention then. What is happening here? What are these children all walking down the street for? It's the children's crusade. That Mother Jones, the trade union leader, she's bringing the kids to Washington, trying to pass laws so that children can go to school and don't have to work dangerous jobs. Why? Some of these children look a bit worse for wear. I saw one was missing an arm. Is that an injury from work? That's terrible. I had no idea things were that bad. Yes, it's simply awful. And these child protesters, they've come a long way. Well, you know what? I hope Mother Jones does get the message across to the politicians. Children should be in school, not work. I couldn't agree more. And that is how the Children's Crusade came about. Sadly, in the end, we did not get to meet the president, but we did at least get his attention. He sent his heartfelt sympathy for our plight. Our protest did not end child labor straight away, but I do believe that it set the wheels in motion to put laws in place to protect our children. There are still countries in the world where children are forced to work, and it's up to you folks to change that. I'm with you. In spirit, workers' rights! Workers' rights! Thank you, Mother Jones, for sharing your story with us. And I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a big round of applause to all of our guests. Let's hear it for our number one nun, Nano Nagel. For our Ladies' Land League leader, Anna Parnell. And last but not least, 
for our courageous crusader, Mother Jones. Sadly, this is the last episode in our series of awesome Irish women from the past. And I must say, it's been quite the roller coaster. I'd like to thank the adventurers, the storytellers, the legends, the stars, the fighters, and the leaders who shared their stories with us and continue to inspire us. And to the next generation of awesome Irish women, I'd just like to say, keep it up, gals. This program was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television license fee.